I'm one of the partners at the firm. Um, I know many of you in the room. Some of you I don't. I look forward to meeting with you. Um, I actually uh, began my career at AAF about 23 years ago, and I've focused just about 100% of my time in the nonprofit space. I actually lo I lead our human social services division. Um, I tend to work with a lot of the mid-size and larger human service providers that we that we uh, serve, and uh, you know, so I look forward today to talking um, some specifics. As John and Josh both alluded to, the challenges that a lot of nonprofits, small to large, are faced with from budgeting perspective um, and forecasting, and trying to deal with the uh, changes in the political environment and what's going on in Beacon Hill and Washington. And uh, so today, uh, we hope to deliver some um, strategies and ideas of ways to uh, make sure that you're gathering as much data as possible as you budget. And I'm Jean garlovsky shep I'm a senior manager here at AAF, worked with many of you over the years. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Eva. Hey, didn't clap for me. Love didn't my <laughs> uh, Work with a lot of uh, educational organizations as well as uh, arts and culture nonprofits and work a lot on non uh, tax exempt uh, informational returns, the 990 and the PC. So, in order to start this session, we thought it would be very helpful for us to kind of lead off with some interesting uh, statistics of information that we have gathered um, in reading through some of the surveys that have been completed in the past year or so with nonprofit organizations ranging from smaller sized, you know, a million dollar budget up to over a hundred million dollar budget. And many of them are on the screen, but I think this is a great lead in to our session as we talk about budgeting and forecasting. Um, I thought it was very interesting that 47% ended the year with a surplus, 47% of the nonprofits that were surveyed. And like I said, these budgets are all shapes and sizes. However, 13% ended the year with an unplanned deficit. And for those people in the room, I'm sure, um, although you want to try to keep these as uh, infrequent as possible, it is the unfair and un and the, re the real uh, reality is that it, they are possible and they do happen and how well you position yourself to weather these storms is absolutely mission critical to the organization. 53% of the nonprofits that were surveyed had three months or less of cash on hand. Now obviously for those of you in the room that work with the government, um, especially the operational services division, you know that their float time on many of their contracts, uh, what used to be up to 30 days, now 30 days is actually a good thing. Um, now we're dealing with numbers that are actually well over 30 days. Um, so obviously the need for liquidity and the need for you to, um, Amanda and Matt touched in their, in their um, portion, they touched upon the need of liquid reserves and liquid capital and having that available. Um, that's becoming increasingly more important and prevalent in the nonprofit industry as the government continues to lag on their reimbursement times. 60% reported that funders never or really cover the full costs of a program. Uh, this is a big discussion, especially in the nonprofit space. A lot of people say, you know, the, U the UFR, the Uniform Financial Report, that a lot of the human service providers um, fill out and that we don't really, we're not 100% sure that they really utilize that data. Well, a lot, of the, a lot of the help could come in the way that we advocate for using that to show what it really costs to run a program, including overhead in, in relation to the true direct costs of a program and what really uh, takes to perform those services. And that's obviously here by saying that 60% feel as though the funders are not covering the full costs. 31% uh, with government funding, we already touched upon the delays being over more than 30 days. 
and 32 percent said the top challenge was pursuing long-term financial sustainability. So that's one of the things that we're going to talk about um, in this session, and uh, Jeannie's going to take more of a, a lead, and I'll, I'll obviously, uh, for those of you in the room that know me, I'm never shy to <laughs> offer my opinions. Um, so um, we'll talk about the challenges and the, and the trials and tribulations. It's very easy to say you need to build reserves. Okay, well, what reserves? What are we going to do with them? How do we generate them? How do we plan for them? And that's obviously what the ultimate goal is here today is to kind of the takeaways that we want you to have is to understand, A, the importance of budgeting, B, the various components of budgeting. There's three key budgets that you have to, um, you know, kind of treat as one. They work independently, but they all flow into one. And then lastly, but also understanding the communication process needed in order to develop a, an accurate and uh, meaningful budget. So with that, I'd like to turn it over to Jeannie, and she's going to uh, discuss some of the more the specifics pertaining to the budgeting process. Thank you, Jeff. So as Jeff alluded to, and as all of you know in your work life, budgeting is incredibly important as part of the ever-changing business environment, which seems to just be changing and becoming more complex year after year. Um, and as part of some of the political changes with the state, city, state, and uh, federal government as well. And budgeting is really a key tool in the nonprofit financial management process. And what, one of the key things we'd love to get across to people in today's session is that the budget is really part of your program. It's part of your mission. It's what you're doing to support your mission and your vision. One of the really common misconceptions that many people have about not-for-profits is that not-for-profits are not meant to make a profit. They should break even every year or even lose money, and, and that's okay because you know it's a not-for-profit. We don't have to make money for shareholders. But in reality, um, as many of you know, you know, show me a for-profit business where they can run year after year after year with losses. It's a, it's a no-brainer. You can't run a business like that, and you can't run a not-for-profit either. Um, you really, one of our uh, founding partners, Joel Aronson, always says, there is no mission if there is no margin, but it's true. You, you can't run a non-for-profit business with no reserves, you know, any, any little, um, any little uh, extra expense, a bad snowfall winter, or a capital issue, and you're out of business, and you can't serve the consumers that you're working so hard to serve. So one of the important things with having a budget is really being able to plan and to have a financial plan and to have a way to try to build your reserves so that you're weather, able to weather any unforeseen storms. Um, another important thing with strategic budgeting as well is uh, m many donors don't want to fund not-for-profits who have recurring losses or who have no reserves. Donors want, in many cases, to fund nonprofits that have a healthy, vibrant uh, budget and where they know their money is going to go for the specific purpose that it's intended for. So quite often, we have clients that we may work with who are not in a good financial position where they're having trouble getting additional funding. Um, so that's another important reason for strategic budgeting as well. And as Jeff had mentioned, there's three main different types of budgets that we wanted to talk about today. Operating budget, which is just your standard revenues and expenses, but thinking about new ways to think about the budget strategically and long term. 
cash flow budget, and capital budgets. And all not-for-profits, even small not-for-profits or those who maybe don't have their own facility, need each of these three budgets, long-term and short-term, and there's ways that you can think about these budgets strategically and work to integrate them together, which is what we're planning to cover in our presentation today. So the first budget we'll talk about is what most of you, I think, are familiar with, which is the operating budget, so your budget for the year. So the most important thing to really think about here is, you know, what is the budget? Is it just a financial statement and a list of revenues and expenses I take it each year? You know, okay, salaries are going up 2%, you know, rent's going up a percent. Here we go, you know, approve it finance committee and then it just sits in a back drawer. Really, a well-designed not-for-profit budget needs to be a financial reflection of your program plan. What do you want to do in your programs this year, and how are you going to get there, and what's the financial plan to achieve these things? Especially for a not-for-profit that has really limited budgets, a budget allows you for the best use of your resources, for your donations or your contracts. How are you going to use those uh, limited resources in the best way possible? And how are you going to tell your story through using the budget? And just to Jeannie's point, the one thing that I think is really important when I'm talking with a lot of nonprofits, I think it's very important that there be a clear understanding that the finance team and the program team have to work collaboratively when you're developing a budget. It's very difficult for nonprofit organizations when you start with a financial budget. Here's our revenue in, here's our expenses out, and then you meet with the program folks and you say, all right, here's what we have. And in order, the most successful nonprofits that I work with really drive the budget through their program, through their program folks. They have the program directors and program managers involved buying in and owning these budgets to, you take your mission, Here's what we need to accomplish, and here's what it's going to take to get there, and assessing the viability of each one of those programs and how you're going to accomplish those missions. So when we see finance working separately with program, there's usually a disconnect there. Um, the, the most successful ones we see is when there's more of a collaborative effort, and the program folks are having say in the budgeting process from, from inception, not after the fact. And we'll talk in a little bit about how to, in a little bit more in depth about how to evaluate your programs and work with your program folks. But I think that's an essential point, and I see this quite a bit with some of my clients is, you know, finance is creating budgets in a little bit of a silo, and really trying to encourage you all, if you're not doing it already, to work with your program folks, marketing, development, to really all pull together and create a budget that everybody can own and stand behind. So there's three key steps that we've identified with uh, strategically thinking about an operating budget. The first step is really to step back and take a high level, big picture look at your numbers and really honest, be honest with yourself, <laughs> even if the picture doesn't look great, be honest with yourself about what the numbers are telling you. So what you want to do here is assess your baseline. What, do, what does our financial picture look like right now? What are our trends? What are our funders seeing? And are there any trends that I'm concerned about that we need to course correct? So I know that Carla and Robin presented this morning on some KPIs and financial indicators. Those of you who have us as your auditors know that we're always, um, as part of our presentations to wrap up the audit with management and the finance committee and board, we always present benchmarks and ratios for three years or five years. Often we'll benchmark you to other organizations in your industry. And 
this is very important, and you, if you're a client and you have that report, you can actually use it as part of your strategic process to really think about what are my ratios and what have my trends been over the last three to five years, and are the trends good or are they worrisome? You know, and some of the key trends you might want to look at is your operating results. Are you making money or losing money every year? You know, level of operating reserves that you have and other types of reserves, whether they're going up or down. Um, how many months of operations do I have in my net assets? That's a very important indicator. And uh, trends in liquidity, do you have cash on hand? Um, how is the collectability of your receivables? And leverage, how leveraged are you? And assess all those trends over the past few years and really think about, do I have to course correct? If these trends continue, what's going to be the impact? And what do I need to do here? So that's the... That's the just, first part Just one of it. thing I wanted to chime in on that also. So another thing when people are looking at surpluses, there's obviously several things that come into calculations when you're dealing with surpluses. There's depreciation, there's debt service payments, there's all, all kind of things that, um, that can um, affect your working capital and, and the results. So for those of you in the room um, that do work with us and, and we do uh, advise you, uh, you'll know that it's often that we recommend that you split out your property and equipment equity separate, especially if you have a large capital investment on your balance sheet. Um, we, we suggest that you break out your property and equipment equity twofold. One, you don't want to look like you're overcapitalized. If you lump in your equity in brick and mortar, that's not going to help you pay your payroll. Um, but second, it's also it's healthy for you to really show a true reflection of what you have available for working capital reserves, and I think that's very important as well. So we, we finding that balance from both a fundraising need, you don't want to look like you're too overcapitalized, but also from an operating need, how many months do I need worth of reserves? It's very important that you understand the components of your net assets. And everybody's going to have a different financial picture. So a large agency that runs with cost reimbursable grants from the state, you know, it might not be realistic for you to have many months of net assets, uh, of, of operations in your net assets. But if you're, you know, if you are an agency that has a lot of public contributions or you have large donors, maybe you can start to strategically think about, you know, how do we build up our reserves? Where do we want to Where do we want to have our donors ideally target their donations? Um, the other thing to really think about is your annual budgeted surplus should be sufficient to cover your depreciation, which we'll talk about in a little while, and also meet your debt obligations and whatever investment that you need to make of your own money into your capital reserve. Deficits ideally should be very rare and really intentional. So you shouldn't be part of this 13% of uh, agencies surveyed who had a surprise deficit at the end of the year. That is not a good case scenario. If you are going to have a deficit, you want to have everybody agree on it at the beginning of the year, have your board sign off on it, and have it be for a good reason. Maybe you're really expanding and trying to grow your organization. You're hiring your first director of development, so you're just going to invest some money in that. Or maybe you're trying to grow your programs and, and put up some seed money for that. So all of those are important things to think about. So now you've looked at your trends and your ratios and you have a sense of if you're going down a good path or if you need to course correct a little bit. And the next thing you want to do is really take a detailed dive into your different programs and activities. Think about each program and what the budget needs to be. And this is where Jeff's point as to the thought partnership between finance and um, programs really comes into play. Ideally, what you really want to work toward is zero-based budgeting, which is starting a budget from scratch with a blank piece of paper, sitting with the program director and saying, okay, here's our program, here's our goals, what do we need to run this program? 
figure out a realistic picture of expenses, and then say, okay, well, how are we going to get this money? And really have a plan for each program. And we often see organizations, some community action organizations and others, where they might have 20, 30 different programs, and some are inherited from prior organizations that have merged in. And not all of them are necessarily core programs, core to the mission. And what's even what, what's concerning about that is, is uh, from a program perspective, I think there's different concerns. But from a financial perspective, are these uh, non-core programs actually helping the organization financially, or are they draining resources from our core programs? And that's really the key thing to think about. So look at each program historically with trends, and is this program covering its direct costs? And if it is, is this program contributing toward overhead? And you have to be honest with yourself about overhead. You can't just allocate overhead based on what the funders will allow. You have to do a true allocation of overhead to the program. What does it really cost to run this program? And obviously, we all know that some programs require quite a bit more overhead than others. And it's being really honest about that in your internal cost allocation. And once you've done all that, really thinking through if a program can't contribute anything toward overhead, and it's not covering its uh, direct costs, and it's not a core mission program, is this really a program that we should be doing? Doing. And if it is a core mission program that struggles financially, what are some ways that we can think of creatively to try to make this program more profitable? Can we try to do a special fundraising campaign for it? Or we may have to trim some expenses realistically. And I've even seen situations where clients have defined these programs as mission critical or core programs, um, and they've had um, where they allocate a portion of their um, grants unrestricted grant activity mm -hmm. is actually an offset for these programs. So it becomes, really it comes down, as Jeannie said, you're looking at what the, what the contribution margin for these programs. First off, they need to cover their direct expenses. I mean, that to me is, is the real baseline for a program is they have to, unless there's a really good reason, they have to cover their baseline costs. And then beyond that, the contribution margin becomes the second gauge that you want to take. So when my clients are looking at, or when our firm clients are looking at these um, organizations, they want to look and understand how, what do we have for resources available that aren't really targeted resources. And then maybe we can align those resources, as long as you don't have too many programs with too many needs that dry up that pool of money, and then you don't have enough to go around. So I do have clients that have undesignated grants that come in that they specifically each year put into their specific programs, core mission critical programs that they know don't have adequate funding. Because as we were pointing out earlier, and as it showed in the survey, 40% of funders are not, are not covering the costs of the programs they want you to run. So you, if it's a mission critical program, you gotta figure out a way to make it work or decide if it's something you just financially can't continue doing. But the worst case scenario is if you have all these programs that are perhaps not even aligned with your mission, and they're sinking your ship financially to where you can't sustain your core programs anymore. That would be the really big concern to think about. Um, and the key thing here also, uh, going back to the point about meeting with your program folks, is also you want to really be able to understand the nuances of each program and what its goals are for the next year. Because as you know, programs can change quite a bit year over year. 
One really good example that Jeff and I talked about as we were preparing for this session is rent increases. We have a lot of clients that have been getting very significant rent increases in a year of lease negotiation because occupancy has been so high in the Boston area and even in the suburbs. And people are seeing these huge rent increases even if they've been in a location, you know, 20 plus years. And so, you know, if you're a CFO who has a million programs, you may not necessarily know that, geez, this one's coming up for renewal, but you, you hopefully will meet with your program people and figure that out, and then you have this contingency plan in the back of your head, like maybe I need to be really careful about how I'm budgeting this rent instead of leaving it flat or just budgeting a few percent increase. And this example also really speaks to the importance of having reserves, because say you do have a program and your landlord for that program hikes up the rent, what are you gonna do if you don't have reserves? You can't afford to move the program out. You are having a hard time affording new space. If you have some operating reserves, then you can say to yourself, well, I have a couple of months of cushion to try to figure out what I'm gonna do or to do a survey of new potential facilities or whatever it is that you need to do. But if you don't have those operating reserves, you're gonna be in a tough place. And we've seen people have to close programs because of rent increases, which is um, obviously not the desirable impact here. So once you've taken a look at your programs, an honest discussion with the program people of where is this program going, what does our budget need to be, you also want to take an honest look at your overhead and your infrastructure costs as well. And what you want to do is avoid what many speak to as the nonprofit starvation cycle, where you're always so focused on keeping your overhead really lean, and you're never able to make investments into your infrastructure. So you have an IT system or general ledger that's falling apart, and you know perhaps you have a building that's falling apart as well. And you really have to think about, okay, is our overhead too lean? Do we need to invest a little bit maybe into getting um, some new IT upgrades? Uh, do we have some risk uh, where security is concerned, which you'll hear about later today? And think about those costs as well and budget them. Meet with your IT staff to talk through the costs. And as you're wrapping up the budget, really looking at your revenue concentrations and thinking about where are my revenues coming from? Do I have a really large concentration with one particular or two particular funders? And if something goes wrong, am I going to be in a bad place? Identify risks in your budget and as well, remember that a good budget needs to be real. Be honest with yourself about a good budget. If you really think you're going to have a deficit for the year, present a deficit budget, but don't make up revenues or make, make assumptions that are a little wishy-washy to try to make a budget look good. One of the things that Jeannie and I also talked about as well is um, when you're developing your budget and you're looking at your expenses, um, sometimes I have some, some of the clients I work with that start with expenses and then they kind of insert the revenue numbers to get a zero balance budget, um, and obviously that's not the ideal situation. Obviously, you want um, to be as realistic as possible um, on these, and uh, to Jeannie's point, to not belabor it, um, I think uh, deficit budgets, although not ideal, if explainable and if bought into by management and the board, can be acceptable if it's a, you know, a one-time situation and not a reoccurring matter. That's true. But the key is being honest with yourself, with your program, with your CEO, and your board. 
Um, and then our last step in our operating budget strategic plan, so you've taken a look at your trends, you've taken a look at your programs and overhead. The last step is you have to develop a short-term budget and plan and a long-term budget and plan. And it's very important that these align with your strategic plans. Because again, every agency is going to have a different situation with their budget and what are realistic goals for you to achieve financially. You want to think about what different types of reserves you have. So the first priority is always op an operating reserve and having some operating capital on hand to weather any unexpected emergencies such as a large funder going away or unexpected expense issues that might crop up during the year. Uh, an operating reserve will also potentially give you some seed money if you want to start a new program or protect you just from downturns in the economy or government funding. And then you want to think, if you have a comfortable level of operating reserves that's comfortable with your strategic plan, you want to start thinking about other different kinds of reserves. You could have some stability fund, program expansion reserve, innovation reserve, maybe a board-designated endowment. So really a net asset management program and really thinking about uh, where your reserves lie. And those of you who were here last year heard Joel speak to the net asset management and the, the buckets of net assets. Um, you know, four to six months plus of working capital is a good goal, and um, it's really important also not to just have the one-year budget, but have a three to five-year operating budget aligned with your strategic plan as well that you're monitoring. And as Jeannie will get into when we talk about the other budgets, the long-term plan will also help too, because if you have a net asset management plan where you accumulate one year of a large surplus, but then your capital plan turns around and uses up all of those reserves that you built up over that, that one year, over the next two or three years, and, and you're back to where you started, that's not really an adequate net asset management plan. The ideal goal, you will have peaks and valleys, but it's to minimize the valleys, maximize the peaks, and come to a happy average where you can feel as though you're adequately capitalized. That's right. And some things are outside of your control, but again, if you have reserves, you can feel a little bit, sleep a little better at night knowing if something goes wrong, your organization can weather it, isn't going to go under. Um, and the key really with the operating budget is to very closely monitor the actual result to the financial plan. One issue Jeff and I have seen over the years with certain clients is that people keep reforecasting. You don't hit your budget, so you keep reforecasting, reforecasting. If you've done an operating budget strategically and properly, hopefully it, it's a good budget. And if there are uh, certain categories that are not hitting goals, then you want to think about why. You know, for example, in a clinic, are we not hitting our revenue goals because maybe we are not uh, properly training doctors or billers? Or, you know, are there things that we can control to try to make this better? Or are there just issues outside of our control, such as demographics, which we just can't fix, but you don't want to just keep reforecasting the budget? And one benefit to getting the program people involved in your budgeting process is that hopefully everybody has ownership of the budget and you can all work together and say, okay, this is our plan, we all own it, we're going to look at the budget to actual results monthly with our program directors, course correct if we need to, but, uh, but everybody owns the plan and everybody's on the same page. Yeah, and it's one thing to have to reforecast on a major change in your business if you brought in another pro large program from another nonprofit or if the state added a, a new program or something of that nature. But at, if everything stays the same, it's just your revenue or expense, expense streams changed, you really should just describe those changes in your budget versus actual situation but really own and, and live with 
the budget that you established. That's really the best way. You can always have stretch goals and goals if, you know, pie in the sky situations if the state decides they want to give out more money and things of that nature. Well, that would be but, nice. <laughs> but, the more, but the more realistic you stay to your operating budget and own it, it's, gonna, it's really going to pay dividends in the long run. Jeff likes to say the budget is the Bible, but okay. it's true. Um, and the, the, another key thing is you really want to do an annual evaluation of your budget process. Talk to all of the key, key stakeholders, your board, your program people, what's working, what's not working, and how do we need to adjust it going forward. Please raise your hand if you have a cash flow budget. Okay, great. Nice to see some hands go up. We weren't sure. <laughs> I think you were predicting about 50%. Yeah, we didn't yeah. get 50, but that's all right. So the second, so almost any nonprofit has an operating budget, which is great. But a cash flow budget is also vital for nonprofits to have. And again, especially in these times where a lot of donors and the government are delaying payments more and more, you want to make sure that you have enough cash to keep you going all year long. And you have a cash management program. As accountants like to say, cash is king. If you might have a great revenue budget, but you know, if it's six months through the year and you can't meet your payroll, that's a real, that's a real concern. So what you want to do is really look at some of the timing differences. When does your money come in the door? Are you getting money all year long? Do you have certain times of the year where most of your money is coming in? Many of my arts clients get a very large chunk of their money right at year end, calendar year end. Um, and when, do, when are your expenses going out the door? Do you have a big summer program where you're incurring a ton of expenses right uh, at certain strategic times of the year? And really have a cash management plan. And again, uh, looking at the trends over the last three to five years, how has my cash been doing, my liquidity? Are there times of the year where I know I'm going to have to use my line of credit? And planning to use that line of credit, budgeting for the interest, and really, really thinking about cash management in a strategic way. You know, best practice when people ask us is to have at least three to six months of cash on hand because, again, your boiler breaks, you are going to have to, you know, fork out a large amount of cash to, to get that boiler fixed. So you want to make sure you always have some cash reserves. Cash on, or short-term receivables. Or short-term receivables on hand. How many people in the room have a capital budget? Raise your hand. Wow. Impressive. That's great. About the same number that have the cash flow budget. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it might have been the same hands. That's right. <laughs> So again, I think sometimes when you speak to not-for-profit clients, if they don't own a facility, they don't worry about a capital budget, but it is vital for everybody to have a capital budget because we all have some kind of fixed assets, whether it's computers or software or even office desks. And, and with the pace of technology nowadays, computers wear out very quickly and have to be replaced very quickly, as Peter, our IT director, knows. Um, so what are my future capital needs and how am I going to pay for them? Capital expenditures can be really big ticket expenditures if your roof breaks, if your water boiler goes, or if all of your computers are wiped out by a virus because you didn't spend any money on IT. That, that's, that can wipe out your cash reserves very, very quickly. You don't want to be reactive to a capital need. You want to be a proactive. So again, you want to have an annual capital budget and a three to five year capital budget that you're looking at. Um, and you have to think about your capital needs. What's a priority? We have to get it done this year or we can't house our programs. And are there other things that are coming up that can wait? You want to do a capital needs study. 
Another key thing that we wanted to talk about is it's really important to cover depreciation as part of your operating budget. That depreciation is what you're budgeting for your future capital needs. Uh, some nonprofits say, oh, you know, depreciation's non-cash. I don't have to worry about it. I have a positive budget if I take out depreciation. But meanwhile, they have a building and $300,000 of depreciation a year. That's a sizable chunk of change. And where are the reserves going to come from when you need to repair or replace your building and you haven't been budgeting for it? And, that's, and, and, and when clients do that, like if a client constructs a facility or a building, it's one thing to think about the building year one, it's brand new. So maybe you do a modified uh, approach and go a little bit lower on your funding of depreciation. And as the building ages out, you get to a higher level so that you're funding a more significant piece of the depreciation cost. Because ultimately, the one thing you don't want to get caught is you don't want to get caught in a situation where you thought something was going to last 20 years. It lasts 10 years. And now you're forced to have to replace something that you didn't plan for based on its estimated life. And you don't have the adequate reserves for it. So at the end of the day, the really key thing for all of us to think about, hopefully at the end of this session, is do I have the three budgets that I need, operating cash flow capital? Are they all integrated as part of the same plan? Do I understand how my cash flow budget works with my operating budget? And how does my capital budget work within my operating budget? And do I have a long-term plan for all of these budgets as part of my nonprofit financial plan? We have a few questions that you could ask yourself. Yeah, we thought this would be helpful because we obviously want to leave some time for your for any questions for you. Uh, but there's a there's actually a couple of links in our in our uh, presentation that will allow some key statistics from the National Center for Charitable Statistics, which I think you'd find very helpful, as well as the Wallace Foundation. There's some information in there about nonprofit financial management, but the nonprofit finance fund also has some key um, questions to ask yourself that I think. Um, when you're looking at um, the difficult decisions that nonprofits are faced with, both in the uh, economic climate but also with the uh, political climate, uh, some of these questions really hit home, and we thought those would be helpful. So, with that being said, um, you know I think the the key takeaways that we hear here today are communication, working together, finance program, focusing on the three budgets and how they in integrate together, and the importance of having those um, those three. Budgets, in my opinion, if you have one, you should have all three. I think that's important. And then ownership, owning the budget. Once you establish it, absent any unforeseen major changes, own it. Okay. So with that, uh, we have a few minutes where we could open it up for uh, questions. I didn't know if anybody or you've seen any interesting reserves that people have out there, sort of thinking creatively outside the box of what they're setting money aside for. Yeah, so, so I'm actually uh, working with a nonprofit organization right now that just established a land and capital feasibility reserve. And um, they found that the, this last couple of years has been very challenging for them to identify the, the location and the scope magnitude needed uh, to develop their next location to provide services. So they're working with an organization that helps them with this, but the problem is, depending on the scope of the work and depending on locations and the travel and all that, because they are pretty diverse, um, the scope, the amount of uh, drain on it on their resources is very hard to predict. So they've come up with an average that they've spent over the last three to five years doing this, and they've found that they want to reach, um, you know, the maximum towards the the range into this reserve, so that they can utilize these funds, especially with the changes coming down the pike with the 
with the financial statement presentation and how you can show the utilization of board designated funds to fund operating expenses or, or one-time costs. So that was pretty, I, I mm. hadn't seen that before. That was one. I'm curious if anybody has set aside an innovation fund. So Carla, you and I work together on a lot of arts clients and I've seen a lot more people doing innovation funds because arts can be really difficult to fund. And having that innovation fund for really creative new work, maybe by new playwrights or new artistic companies, uh, enables those, uh, those organizations to fundraise or to uh, set aside reserves for wonderful innovative new works that they wouldn't be able to do without the reserves. An another one, they didn't name the fund for this, but offline the purpose of their board designated stability fund, a, a significant portion of their funding for one of their core programs comes from a major donor. The major donor is get, getting older, and they don't have a supplement for that funding. So what they've done is they've taken some of the um, other surpluses from other programs and putting those aside and building a stability reserve to ideally be able to accumulate one year's worth of costs of that program to help bridge the gap should something suddenly, unfortunately, occur. And uh, so they're building a reserve to kind of have that money set aside to continue the program should something happen to the donor who happens to fund 85% of the program. The question um, was about in-kind revenues and expenses. And should that, you know, do you really have to get down to the nitty gritty of what the amount is in your budget? Or can you just use kind of an average or what you incurred in the prior year? Truthfully, from a budget perspective, um, internal, I don't think it's, um, Unless you change, a major change happened, it's a, it's a cost of running the business, yes. But because it's not going to impact your cash flow or your capital budget or you're operating on a total um, basis, on a surplus basis, I don't think it's as critical that you focus your attention on the ins and outs there. But as far as showing your program people what that true cost of that program is, if you had to go out and pay for the food for the program or you had to go out and pay for the, serve, the, the salaries of someone that's that fits the criteria of recognition, then I think that would be helpful to show the folks how fortunate you are to have the people donating those goods and services. Another advantage of budgeting for the in-kind is if um, you have people who are involved with soliciting that in-kind, like your program people or development people, then they may know if they're behind plan if you try to accurately yeah, budget the in-kind. Good point. Yeah. So I think we have time for one more question. So could I ask you about the um, revenue budgeting? And you said that you should not um, make up revenue that you don't think you have or you're trying to fill the holes. But if we are grant driven and grants are on one year cycles and maybe part of the cycle is expiring during the next grant period, the next budget period, what do you recommend about the possibility of getting a grant or finding new funders and do you assign probabilities to your, your revenue projections? And, if something is more than X percent probable, I'm going to include it all, or how does that, how do you foresee so that? So it's, it's interesting, it's a very valid question because I actually sit on a board, um, the controller happens to be in the room, um, where we are faced with this very challenge when we do our budget. And when I took over as treasurer, that was one of the challenges we were faced with was we started with the costs and kind of filled in the gap with the revenue. And what we've worked over time that really worked for us is twofold. One, looking at an average. How consistent has our revenue streams from grants and unrestricted resources, annual appeals, um, you know, uh, 
phone-a-thons, whatever we do to raise reven undesignated unrestricted revenues. We took an average of that based on growth. If it was 2%, 3% average growth, you can do that. And then take any external factors. We had an extra appeal this year, an extra fundraising event, et cetera. And as far as on the grant side, it's really working with the development folks and attaching to the grants that you're applying some type of likelihood, as you alluded to. Um, you, you get a sense in the process where you are on the likelihood based on how far you make it into the process or where you are. And you call, obviously can update those percentages as time goes on. But it's very important that you understand your donor base and you understand your likelihood and not over predict what you think you're going to get. A lot of times you have history on your side. If you've gone to Foundation A for many years and you've got money from A over many years, it's more likely than not that you can budget for that money. It's the new dollars, it's the new um, philanthropic uh, initiatives that you try to do that are the most difficult. And we find that having that communication with the people that are in the trenches, the ones writing the grant awards, communicating with the foundations, those are the ones that lead us to the best guess estimate of what we think we're going to raise in undesignated revenues. And for the grant and contribution funded organizations, that's where it becomes really vital to think about your operating reserve and how much do we need to keep us going if a funder falls through. So that's all the time we have um, for this session, but as Jeannie alluded to, we'll be available during the breaks, during the cocktail uh, session, as well as um, if you ever want to reach out, our contact info is on the, on the um, website. So thank you very much. <laughs>